Here we go. You are listening to Wednesday's Law and Gospel, June the 15th in the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're going to be doing something a little different today than usual. And that's because since my, well, being ill, I've been at home a bit and been reading some books that I normally to look at. And I came across one, Herman Saucy. Herman Saucy is considered one of the great Lutheran theologians of all time. In fact, in 1995, on the anniversary of his 100th birth, because he was born in 1895 on July the 17th, the eldest of five children, they had a wonderful opportunity to have professors come in and talk about Herman Sassi in Canada at the seminary there. And there were some very well-known professors that were giving the lectures. Uh, you you probably have heard of a few of them that we've talked about, uh, namely Ron Feuerhahn, and then there was Kurt Marquardt, tremendous theologian from Fort Wayne, Norman Nagel, another tremendous theologian who had been at Valparaiso but then went over to Concordia Seminary, uh, St. Louis Seminary. Now, those two have fallen asleep in Jesus, but they were part of talking about Herman Sassi. Now, what did I find interesting about this book? Well, Herman Sassi, of course, lived in Nazi Germany, and he was someone who was against the Nazis. In fact, he wrote a very interesting article or essay against them. And he also disobeyed their rules and left the country on false visas in order to do lecturing in the United States. He finally took a call to Australia. Now, why is this important? Because he was a, a great professor when it came to teaching Luther theology. And we learn many things from him. He had a brilliant mind in this area. And knowing Lutheran theology, which really took place a lot of times in Canada. He was opposed to some degree by the league at Concordia Seminary, St. Louis, because he didn't go over there till after 1945. And at that point, they were already beginning to become liberal. 
And so there was a group that opposed his coming. But finally, the entire faculty did vote to allow him to come. And, and that's because they were beginning to get involved with the historical critical method. You see, the church always has some great problems. In my day, when I went to the seminary, it was a historical critical method. What does that mean? It means that professors did not take the Bible as it stood. They would read parts of the Bible and they put it in such a way that it went contrary to the plain teaching of the Bible. Uh, a good example of that is, of course, their idea that evolution is really the way God created the world rather than, well, we know what they would be saying, rather than creationism. And so we've had problems throughout the church. Uh, today we have a great problem in some of our schools with uh, a teaching that is Marxist and contrary to the word of God. And that is something that we need to be watchful over. It's something that is being dealt with and we still don't know how this is going to end. We've had, what, two universities who have left the Missouri Synod in the sense of being closed down. And we're hoping that that will be the last. But it's something we're going to be looking at. And a lot of times on Rumination Thursday, uh, we talk about those issues. Well, the issue we want to talk about today is another problem in the church, but very few people are really aware of it. And that is the problem of liturgy. The problem of liturgy, how can that be a problem? Sasi acknowledged that there is no doubt that the liturgy is important because for him, it was a way in which the church is Jesus as their Lord. And it is a way that the church also became part of the work of Jesus. For example, at a conference for pastors in Australia, a paper was given on preaching. The discussion which followed focused on whether it was always necessary to preach both law and gospel in every sermon. One seminary professor declared rather vehemently that he always preached the gospel in every sermon. At this, Sasi got up 
went to the microphone and he stunned the audience by saying the following, never in all my life have I preached about the gospel in any sermon. And I will never preach about the gospel as long as I live. I have always and will proclaim the gospel. Wow. That, that takes some thinking as to what Sasi was saying here. He was saying that many sermons attempt to explain the gospel. But for him, the gospel was an enactment, a performative utterance. Uh, let me give you an example of the difference. You can have a sermon where you say, and when Jesus died on the cross, he was there to pay for sins. Or you can say, your sins have been forgiven. You see, the second statement is using the gospel as a performative utterance. And that is very important. Sasi always spoke in a way that Christ spoke through him to grant forgiveness and all his gifts to the gospel, from the gospel to the church. In fact, one of the items he talked about was a part of the liturgy. And when I begin a worship service, my first words, and this is introducing the Sunday to the church, is the Lord be with you. And the congregation responds, and with you also. When Sasi was asked, what is the church actually doing? He answered most simply, the church prays. The church is nothing else than the assembly of the faithful as they gather in prayer. At the altar of the faithful, not only pray the Maranatha, the Sanctus, and the Eucharistic Thanksgiving, but also brought before their Heavenly Father their intercession for the entire world. The early church was a church at prayer. And then he makes a point that was really helpful to me. The reality is best expressed, he says, by the salutation in the liturgy. What's a salutation? It's when the pastor says, the Lord be with you. This introductory salutation of the pastor expresses the wish of the congregation 
that the Lord Jesus may now pray with it and make its prayer his own. The head of this body prays together with the body. Jesus is also praying with you. That's why we often speak of prayers in the name of Jesus. Now, when the response comes by the congregation and with thy spirit, this expresses the wish of the congregation to the minister who is leading them in prayer that the Lord may pray together with him, make his prayer his own, so that the prayer rises up before God's throne through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The Father cannot but hear and answer such prayer, for it comes from and reaches into the Trinity. It is not only offered by the Son to the Father, it is also empowered by the Holy Spirit, who prays with the saints. So when prayer is made in the name of Jesus, the whole congregation, led by the celebrant, the pastor, joins its risen Lord in his intercession for the church and the world. By it, the church recognizes that it is not as it should be and relies totally on the mercy of God for its life and for the salvation of the world. It even depends on the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit to bring its prayer to the Heavenly Father. Remember what Jesus says, I'm going to leave, but there will be another comforter. And that was the Holy Spirit who now takes our prayers with Jesus to the Heavenly Father. By proper prayer, the church confesses its faith in the triune God, particularly, practically, and concretely. Now, Sassi said the prayer of the church today is often misunderstood and neglected. In 1949, he wrote this impassioned plea. Fear has not come upon one single soul because of the war and not because of the College of Cardinals either. For only the praying church, which moves heaven and earth with her prayer, even when outwardly she has to go down and defeat in the process, could and might affect truly world-shattering changes in this century. The praying church is a power which shakes the social and political world of our century. Because in her and in her alone, 
He is present unto whom all power in heaven and earth is given. The life of the Lutheran church is dependent on this, whether she again will become a praying church. For Sasi, he therefore was really opposed to these private prayers that pastors deal with their own issues rather than the issues of the church. These are not really given to Jesus Christ to take over. It's as though the pastor has made up a prayer and dealing with certain conditions and asking God to take care of them rather than blessing God and giving him proper understanding of their needs. Sassi regarded the liturgy as the common property of the whole church. And in contrast to most modern church men and women, he maintained that the oldest liturgies were the best. Paradoxically, the greatest freedom for individual Christians lay in the use of the old forms because they were Catholic and not idiosyncratic. They did not demand uniformity of experience or piety. They were objective and they expressed what all Christians had in common and therefore they were inclusive. Now that's important to remember because many liturgies today are made up by the individual pastor who think they're more interesting or better to be listened to. No, there was one occasion when the student argued that each pastor and congregation was free to adapt the liturgy to local circumstances. In response to his suggestion, Sasi thundered in full fury that the liturgy did not belong to any pastor or any worship committee or any congregation. It was the liturgy of the church. And since it belonged to the church, only the church could change it. And then only for some good reason. So we've had a number of hymnals in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And our last one has the opportunity for a number of different worship services. But great care was taken to continue these worship services in a Catholic way. Now, when we use the word Catholic, I'm using it in the way Nsasi was when we, well, confess the Athanasian Creed that we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, meaning Christian. And 
Remember, Luther did not change the liturgy very much, but only to the point where it became something that was better from a Lutheran point of view. Now, Sassi was very conservative when it became the liturgy. For him, the liturgy and the confession of faith were as inseparable from each other as husband and wife in marriage. And in both cases, divorce was equally disastrous. What the church confessed as its faith determined how it worshiped and vice versa. By its worship, the church therefore expressed and confessed its faith before the world. Since the proper liturgy of the church was determined by its confession of faith, contempt for the liturgy and disregard of it usually stem from the rejection of what was confessed in it. This is happening in some churches, even in the Missouri Synod. I attended one church and they even have removed the name Lutheran from their title. And they have bands playing and the sermon was not at all about law and gospel properly. It was about how with Jesus Christ, you could develop yourself into a wonderful human being and make successes. Now, you hear that in every Joel Osteen sermon, but it's not proper in a Lutheran church. Since the liturgy of the church is determined by its confession of faith, contempt for the liturgy and disregard of it stems from the rejection of what is confessed in it. In fact, the most serious charge, Sassi says, that could possibly be laid against any theologian was a lack of understanding for liturgy. So we in the English world are in deep trouble. Many Lutheran congregations are no longer at home in the Lutheran liturgy, which is, as Sassy so often told us, the Catholic liturgy of the Western churches. While some congregations alter it carelessly and substantially for no better reason than to introduce variety in worship, others reject it for sectarian liturgies derived from non-sacramental churches. That's particularly found in the hymns that are sung that are not Christ-centered that do not properly divide law and gospel. If that is happening in your congregation, you really need to work 
with the district, the district officials, etc., to move your liturgy back into the Catholic form. Because we don't do liturgy that please the people. We do liturgy to honor God. And that at times can be contrary to what the people want. All this is in the name of the gospel and evangelism. If Sassi were with us today, he would no doubt castigate us for our folly in believing that we could still retain our Lutheran substance when we adopted revivalist, Baptist, and Pentecost forms of worship. But he would also urge us not to lose nerve for every crisis is an opportunity for repentance and renewal. The church learns from its mistakes. Like a body, it develops antibodies against spiritual sickness by suffering that sickness. Sasi may not be old-fashioned and irrelevant in his theology after all. His greatest contribution to the Lutheran Church may be that, stimulated by him, we just rediscover the inseparable connection of liturgy with confession and dogma, and so develop a Lutheran liturgical theology and follow the wonderful worship services in our hymnal because they are filled with the confession and dogma of Lutheranism. So this is another problem that's happening in many churches and you can listen to that problem simply by going and hearing worship services from other churches outside of Lutheranism. We can't allow that to happen. Tomorrow's Law and Gospel, be with us. Listen to Law and Gospel each Wednesday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check out to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.